Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Hello, Renew. I'm Aubrey Dom, and I'm very thankful for this chance to share what I've been thinking about and meditating upon recently. So God, we thank you for your goodness and for your spirit. May we read your word and may your word read us today. Amen. So if you're at a place and you're able, I'd ask that you grab your Bible, turn to Nehemiah. If you're not sure where Nehemiah is, you can use your table of contents to find it. And while you're doing that, I would encourage you now to think of someone you love. Yes, think of someone you love. It could be someone of any age, maybe someone who is alive or someone who has passed away. Picture that person in your mind. Imagine their face, their mannerisms, their features. Imagine that they are smiling at you. Be aware of your thoughts towards them, your wish to be close to them, your smile in response to them. Experience your feelings towards them, your wish to spend time with them and and to be with them. Now that you have grasped this feeling, switch your position from giving that love to being on the receiving end of that love. And the one who is showing you that love is God. This feeling is what God experiences when God thinks of you. Not only does God love you, God likes to be with you. So Ben and Doug have been talking about joy strength. Based on a book that Ben mentioned, Does God Really Like Me? Discovering the God Who Wants to Be With Us. They have defined joy as a relational experience, being in the presence of someone who eagerly enjoys to be with you. Let me share a personal story about a recent time that I experienced this definition of joy to be true. At the end of August this year, Seth Callum and I were on a vacation with Seth's parents in the Shenandoah National Park area. I decided to go on a prayer walk, which many of you have been on before. If you're not familiar with a prayer walk, it's an activity just like it sounds, walking and praying together. However, this particular prayer walk was a more aggressive prayer walk, a lamenting prayer walk of sorts. Lamenting is a form of praying what you got, which is a phrase that we like to say in our house church. Lamenting is sharing any experience that is unpleasant or any thoughts that are unpleasant, such as anger, sadness, guilt, jealousy. So as I was walking up and down the hilly region in Virginia on this lamenting prayer walk, moving at a really quick pace and pouring out my thoughts to God, I was engaged in two types of laments. Individual lament for the concerns that were very personal to me, including processing an upcoming surgery that my dad would need to undergo. I was also engaged in communal lament as I was praying for some things that were happening in our house church and also my experience of feeling helpless in response to listening to events on the news. 
So when I was finished with this cathartic and lamenting prayer, and I had nothing else to say, I heard the phrase, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Though it seemed out of the blue, I immediately felt a peace, and I believed it was a word from God. I responded back in relief. Okay. Thank you. Amen. I didn't understand fully why God spoke those words, but I knew it would soak into my soul as the weeks progressed. I vaguely recall that that phrase was somewhere in the Old Testament, so I spent the rest of my free time on the vacation reading through Nehemiah and understanding its context. When I had returned home, I was talking with Ben about the vacation, and I briefly shared this story. Ben said, well, actually, it's interesting you say that because we are starting a series on joy strength based on that passage in Nehemiah. It sounds like God really spoke to you on your trip. And how did I feel in that moment? I felt loved and I felt liked. My conversation with Ben confirmed that the God of the universe in my lament listened. But not only did God listen, God responded as I needed. I felt heard and I felt loved. I experienced joy, the pleasure of God, and I felt inner strength. I wonder if you've had similar experiences to this. So I would like to briefly break down these ideas, lament, joy, and strength, by sharing some background information and then reading through the passage in Nehemiah. In chapter one in Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears about his people in Jerusalem and the instability they were experiencing. Nehemiah is so upset that he weeps and he grieves, and you can find that in the first chapter. Nehemiah, because he has favor with the king, which you can see in chapter two, is able to go to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the wall. In the ancient time, walls were really important for protection and strength. around cities. We'll keep that in mind um, when we talk about strength in a little bit. So you find in chapters three and seven, they describe the logistical aspects of rebuilding the wall, the opposition, and also the conflict from both within and without, and the exiles returning home. But if you turn to chapter eight, we see that the people are gathering and Ezra, the priest, opens the law and reads it out loud so that they can hear it And they can also understand it. So if you're following along in your Bibles, we'll start in verse 9 and read from um, verses 9 through 12. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who are instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Other translations say, um, send to those who are unable to prepare themselves, who don't have um, the food and the drink. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. I think that their weeping was very appropriate 
and their lamenting was very appropriate. They were understanding and putting together the pieces of their history and the ways their ancestors had sinned against God and sinned against their neighbors. And they believed this to be the reason for their, their captivity. I was chatting with my house church this past Sunday about lament and joy in light of this passage in Nehemiah. And Bill and Beth reminded us that Jewish traditions are better at lamenting than many, than many Christian traditions. We know that the Psalms are full of lament. And Beth shared a phrase she remembers from Psalm 73, translated in the message. And that phrase that she really remembers is, God, are you out to lunch? And sometimes we do feel like that. Bill reminded us that lamenting, which is just a dialogue with God, is faith. We have faith that God listens to our lament and that God also laments because all is not right. Lamenting is believing that God can and, dare we believe, will make all things right. So lamenting is very important. But just like so many things in our life, lamenting isn't necessarily compartmentalized. We can and do experience various emotions and experiences together. Going back to this passage in Nehemiah, the Israelites are lamenting, but they are told to feast and not grieve. This moment is packed with the gospel theme. The Israelites in Nehemiah are told, don't grieve and mourn, celebrate, feast. The people do mourn and do confess their sins. And you can read that in um, chapter nine in the next chapter. But as I was initially reading through this passage, I had the thought that sometimes God's love is lavished on us in the most surprising times. Sometimes we expect that we need to mourn first and say we are sorry for our wrongs, and then we will be shown love. God's grace and love, however, burst out at the seams and cannot be contained. I was reminded of this in the homework that Ben had given us to read the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son found in Luke 15. The son returning to his father had good and valid reasons to mourn and lament. And yet his father runs to the son and lavishes son with the feast, not allowing his son to get a word in edgewise. The father's love doesn't have time just yet for the prodigal son's lament. The father can't wait to be with his son again and experience the joy of being in his son's presence. There is a celebration to be had and a feast to be shared. And this is just like the feast the Israelites are told to have in Nehemiah. This is the gospel of grace, and this is joy. So let's briefly re review what joy is. Rabbi Sachs states, in the Torah, joy is not about individuals. It is something we share. It is a social emotion, a sense of connection to other people and God. Happiness is something you pursue, but joy is not. It discovers you. It has to do with a sense of connection to other people or God. It is a social emotion. It is the exhilaration we feel when we merge with others. It is the redemption of loneliness. Doug talked recently about the joy of community, and Ben talked about the joy we, found, we find in unity. We experience this joy with others, but it also can be God's joy towards us. The joy of the Lord can also mean the pleasure of God towards us. This joy of the Lord is also the pleasure that God feels towards you. 
And this makes sense when we think about the definition of joy as being in the presence of someone who likes to be with you. If you remember the exercise that we did at the beginning of this, when we felt the experience of loving someone and then transferred that feeling to God's love towards us, this was a taste of the pleasure that God has towards you. Here's another way to think about joy that can help us as we transition into talking about strength. Um, during the summer, this um, and Wednesday evenings, we talked about, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes and we contrasted the absurdities of life with joy. If you are familiar with Ecclesiastes, you may be familiar with the phrase vanity, all is vanity or hevel, all is hevel. Hevel is the Hebrew root in Ecclesiastes that is used over and over again and is best translated as absurd, vapor, a mist. Ellen F. Davis, in writing about Hevel, states, The author of Ecclesiastes is struck and appalled by the total disparity between what should happen in a well-ordered world and what actually does happen. She continues, For all his debunking, the author never dismisses joy itself as Hevel, as absurdity. Rather, joy and Hevel are complementary. Joy is the one thing strong enough to stand up in the face of all that is disappointing. I think that's so appropriate to think about that strength in light of these past few months. Strength to stand against the disappointments we have experienced throughout our lives and probably for many of us, especially in these past few months. So Nehemiah references strength many times in this book. The book itself is about the importance of building the wall and his own leadership to help the Israelites rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. In the first chapter, while Nehemiah is grieving and lamenting for his people, he reminds God that in verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. In chapter two, Nehemiah is understandably nervous about answering honestly to the king. So Nehemiah prays for strength from God to answer the king. Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I assured and I answered the king. In chapter four, there is a need of protection and strength against the enemies who are opposed to the Israelites rebuilding the wall. In chapter six, verse nine, Nehemiah prays, now strengthen my hands. And in chapter eight, Ben shared that the word strength is defined as a place of safety and protection, a refuge, a mountain. And I think that strength can come in unexpected places and times. Kate Bowler, author and professor at Duke Divinity School, insightfully and humorously writes about her experience with cancer in her book, Everything Happens for a Reason. I read this on our vacation in August during the time of studying Nehemiah, and I want to end our time together with a longish quote, because I think it'll be really worth it. So bear with me. I think it ties together so well lament, joy, and strength. In this quote, she finds God's strength and joy in a rather surprising time and way. And here is her quote. I read something in the newspaper the other day that summarized the findings of the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. And yes, there is such a thing. Thousands of people were interviewed about their brushes with death in every kind of situation. Being in a car accident, giving birth, attempting suicide, etc. And many described the same odd thing. Love. 
I'm sure what I would have ignored the article if it had not reminded me of something that happened to me, something that I felt uncomfortable telling anyone. It seemed too odd and too simplistic to say that I knew it to be true, that when I was sure I was going to die, I didn't feel, ang- I didn't feel angry. I felt loved. In those first few days after my diagnosis, when I was in the hospital, I couldn't see my son, I couldn't get out of bed, and I couldn't say for certain that I would survive the year. But I felt as though I had uncovered something like a secret about faith. Even in lucid moments, I found my feelings so difficult to explain. I kept saying the same thing. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. At a time when I should have felt abandoned by God, I was not reduced to ashes. I felt like I was floating, floating on the love and prayers of all those who hummed around me like worker bees, bringing notes and flowers and warm socks and quilts embroidered with words of encouragement. They came in like priests and mirrored back to me the face of Jesus. When they sat beside me, my hand in their hands, my own suffering began to feel like it had revealed to me the suffering of others, a world of those who, like me, are stumbling in the debris of dreams they thought they were entitled to and plans they didn't realize they had made. That feeling stayed with me for months. In fact, I had grown so accustomed to that floating feeling that I started to panic at the prospect of losing it. So I began to ask friends, theologians, historians, pastors I knew, and nuns I liked, what am I going to do when it's gone? And they knew exactly what I meant because they had either felt it themselves or read about it in the great works of Christian theology. St. Augustine called it the sweetness. Thomas Aquinas called it something mystical like the prophetic light. But all said, yes, it will go. The feelings will go. The sense of God's presence may go. There may be no lasting proof that God exists. There will be no formula for how to get it back. But they offered me this small bit of certainty, and I clung to it. When the feelings recede like the tides, they said they will leave an imprint. I would somehow be marked by the presence of an unbidden God. It is not proof proof of anything, and it is nothing to boast about. It was simply a gift. I can't reply to the thousands of emails with my own five-step plan to divine health or series of powerful formulas, which guarantee results. I suppose I'm like the man who wrote to me to say he had seen a friend swinging from a tree and felt the presence of God in that same long, dark night. Yes, that is the God I believe in. I can't reconcile the way the world is jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible, the gorgeous and the tragic, except I'm beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. I see a middle-aged woman in the waiting room of the cancer clinic, her arms wrapped around the frail frame of her son. She squeezes him tightly, oblivious to the way he looks down at her sheepishly. He laughs after a minute, minute, a hostage to her love. Joy persists somehow, and I soak it in. The horror of cancer has made everything seem like it is painted in bright colors. I think the same thoughts again and again. Life is so hard, and life is so beautiful. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.